When I was in my 20s, I remember making my way over to the iconic Sony corporate tower in the Ginza district of Tokyo. I was heading over there for a final job interview. And I remember taking the elevator to a certain floor, getting off and making my way to a large room with a long rectangular table. On one side of the table were three Sony managers, and the guy in the middle had this stout build, a square jaw, and a husky voice. He was a Japanese version of Jack Nicholson. I didn't mention that because I didn't think it would help me get the job, but、uh, I sat on the other side of the table feeling rather intimidated. The interview kicked off, and Partway through, the Jack Nicholson esque manager asked me the question If we were to hire you, how long would you stay with our company? And I remember saying, Maybe two or three years. Why not longer? He asked. Well, I'm hoping one day to enter into something called the Christian ministry as a pastor. Well, the Jack Nicholson esque manager growled, furrowed his brow, and said, Why would you want to do that? And I gave some kind of weak answer about wanting to do something that would help other people. But as I was riding the subway home that day, a more complete answer came to my mind and heart. I thought, given what I understand to be my gifts, becoming a pastor may well be the best way to do something that will last forever. Now, of course, you do not need to be a pastor or work for some explicitly Christian organization to do something that will last into eternity. Last week, I talked about how when we do our everyday work before the face of God, no matter what that work is, as long as it's obviously not harming someone, that work is noble and it really matters. One of my favorite poets, Mary Oliver, in one of her poems, asked the question, What will you do with your one wild and precious life? And for many of us, our spirit responds by some kind of desire to do something that will last, something that will actually transcend time. As we conclude our series in the book of Colossians, we're going to see how the Apostle Paul invites us to embrace our new identity. Remember, we are the caterpillar that has experienced chrysalis, that has morphed into a butterfly. If we join our lives to Christ, we are the new creation. And in his final words in the book of Colossians, Paul invites us to embrace our new creation by engaging in a couple of practices that can have an eternal impact, namely prayer and making Christ known. So listen to what Paul writes in his final instructions in Colossians. Colossians 4 2-6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. 
Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. May God speak to us through this, his inspired word. And so the Apostle Paul here, in these closing words, is saying, if you know Jesus, embrace your new creation and engage in the practices of prayer and making Christ known because these practices can have effects that will sound in eternity. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful. The word translated watchful can also be translated alert. Paul recognizes that one of the most significant works that comes through our life may well be prayer. And so Paul says, as you pray, be alert. Now, about 75 to 80% of people are most alert in the morning. About one-fifth of people are owls. They're more alert at night. And, and this alertness shifts over the course of our lifetime. So if you are a high school student or in your university-aged years, you're probably more alert later at night and, and more groggy really early in the morning. So that can shift. The Apostle Paul says when you choose a time for prayer, choose your best available time when you are alert. And then Paul writes, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And so Paul here is asking people to pray that God would make known the mystery of Christ. Now, mystery here in the Greek, in the context, doesn't mean utterly unknowable. Mystery here means that something can only be known if it is revealed by God. So mystery doesn't mean you cannot possibly know it. It simply means you can only know this, this mystery of Christ, if it is revealed by God. And so the Apostle Paul calls on people to pray because Paul knows that there is a mysterious relationship. I know that I'm using that word a lot, mysterious relationship between our prayers and God revealing the mystery of Christ. Now, if you have read the letters of the Apostle Paul in Scripture, you would know that he has a brilliant mind, that he is a very gifted writer. But did you know that the Apostle Paul was not considered a gifted, effective public speaker by the standards of his day. He didn't use Roman and Greek oratorical techniques. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 10.10, the Apostle Paul reports how some people are saying that his letters are weighty and forceful, but he is unimpressive in person and that his words and his speaking amount to nothing. I'm sure the Apostle Paul was offended by that. He, he seems angry as he's, he's writing those words. But he also says in 2 Corinthians 2.4 that my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words of human wisdom, but rather they came with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power. The Apostle Paul knew that as bright as he was, 
people's understanding the mystery of Christ wasn't dependent on his powers of oratory or persuasion. The Apostle Paul knew that insofar as awakening to the reality of God was concerned, it wasn't so much dependent on human talent and persuasive communication, not by might, not, nor by power, said the prophet Zechariah, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. The Apostle Paul knew that the, cre- the key ingredient it's okay if I stumble because it's not about how I say it, right? <laughs> Wasn't his words or a person's words so much as the Spirit revealing the mystery of Christ. And there is this relationship between our prayers and the mystery of Christ being revealed to a person. Hudson Taylor was one of the great missionaries from England to China in the 19th century. He's been a great inspiration to my own life of faith. But when Hudson was a teenager, he was rebelling against his parents and living for pleasure. And so his mom was concerned about his, his, his mother was this devout follower of Jesus. So she decides to uh, spend a few days away from their home praying that her son Hudson would really come to know God. And as she's praying for her son one day in a different place, her son is at home, he's got an eye infection, he can't go to work, he's bored. He wanders into his dad's den, his dad's office, and at random happens to pull off of the shelf some kind of booklet, some kind of track about the finished work of Christ. I'm sure it wasn't very interesting to most people, but the Holy Spirit fell upon Hudson Taylor He was convicted of his sins, fell to his knees, and surrendered his life to God as his mother was praying for him. There's a connection between his mother's prayers and him coming to know God. Uh, As some of you know, uh, when I was a teenager, I was having run-ins with the law. You may not know this, however, that, that my mother, and I'm thinking about her more because her memorial service is coming up actually this Saturday in this space at 2 p.m., so I'm thinking about her. Um... She was concerned about me. And so she did something that she had not done before. She went to her church's prayer meeting on a Wednesday night in Surrey and asked the folks gathered there, would you pray for my wayward, I don't know if she used the word wayward or not, but something like my troubled, rebellious um, you know, son. I don't know what, what she said exactly. And she asked a, a, a prayer warrior named Walter Fender specifically to pray for me. And then In about a year, I had come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Sometimes those prayers aren't answered that quickly, as was the case for Hudson and and for me, because people have a will and they can seemingly resist the grace of God. But there is a relationship between our prayers and God revealing the mystery of Christ. Now, if you know Christ personally, I know, know that many of you here would consider yourself to be in a relationship with God. It is guaranteed that someone prayed for you. So I'm looking over here at at, at John, Julia, and and Grace. We've talked. I know that you know Jesus, but I also know that you know Jesus because your mom and others prayed for you. So Paul says, you want to be involved in a work that will last forever? Pray for people, and specifically that God would make the mystery of Christ known to them. Paul also says, you want to be in a work that will last on into eternity? Pray for me as well, because I am committed to 
seeking to make Christ known. In fact, I am in chains here in prison in Rome for my declaration that Jesus is Lord. And he, he's saying, pray that a door would be open for this message. And as people are walking into this prison, guards are coming by, visitors. They see that Paul is in chains, that he's incarcerated. Someone asks the question, why is this guy Paul in prison? The guards say, well, because he's been saying that Jesus, not Caesar, is the true emperor of the empire. And people, in some cases, ask Paul, tell us about your belief. And he had an opportunity to share Christ. Perhaps he was also hoping when he says, pray that a door would be opened for the message of Jesus, that he would be released from prison so that he would have a broader context in which to share Christ. Several years ago, some of you may remember this if you were here, I stood on this stage and I, inspired by another pastor in another church, said something like, if you would like to pray for me and my family daily, uh, you can email me at kenneth10th.ca and I will send out a periodic you know, prayer email uh, asking you for some specific requests. Uh, no pressure, but if you'd like to join that group, please do so. About two or 300 people across all our sites um, responded. And then I um, later sent out a prayer card with an image of our family on it just as a reminder to pray. Please pray that we would trust the Lord, our family, with all our heart, acknowledge him in all our paths, or acknowledge him in all our ways and have God direct our paths. And there's some cards available on the back afterwards if you want to pick one up. Um, if you weren't there or don't know about this and would like to be part of this uh, group of people who prays for my family and me, you can email me at ken at 10th.ca and I'll send you a periodic note. Here is what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to email me you know, some months from now, apologizing because you forgot to pray for me and my family. Okay, so I, I get these emails from time to time. I committed to pray for you and your family daily, and I've been forgetting. I'm like, that's why I had such a bad day on Wednesday. Now I know. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, but yeah, you don't need to apologize. But if you want to be part of that, you can email me. Uh, we need each other's prayers as we seek to make Christ known in our lives, through our prayers, uh, through what we say. And speaking of which, Paul says... This, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. That would be outsiders to, to faith in God. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. In another passage, he says, redeem your time. You know, Paul's not saying that you need to fill every open moment with nonstop activity. If you're on vacation, embracing a Sabbath day, recovering from an illness, it's good to have open spaces. But Paul is saying, be intentional with the way you use your time, especially as you interact with people who are outsiders to faith. He says, let your speech be full of grace, that is gracious, and seasoned with salt, Salt was used in the ancient world to preserve food, but to also bring out its original and best flavors. So Paul would say, yes, let your speech be graceful as you're interacting with people who don't necessarily believe in God, but let it also be seasoned with salt, meaning appealing, attractive, and if possible, compelling. One of the sure signs that we have become a new creation, that we are the caterpillar turned butterfly, 
that we really have met the living God is that we have this desire that we never had before to make Christ known. It's a supernatural desire that God puts in us when we meet Christ. You know, when something good happens to us, we tend to want to share that news. So uh, in the spring, this past spring, in the month of March, I was speaking at a pastor's conference in Manitoba, just outside of Winnipeg. And there was someone assigned to me at the conference to drive me between the hotel and the conference center and back. But the first night of the conference, the conference organizer came up to me and said, someone here associated with the conference feels that it would be much more convenient for you to have your own vehicle while you're here. So here are the keys. Enjoy. Took the keys after the evening session, pulled out my phone, uh, punched in the address of the hotel, and I started driving you know, through the snow back to the hotel. I look in the rear view mirror and I see the red and white lights of a police car flashing behind me. That's a bad feeling, as some of you know. I pull over, police officer comes up to my window and says, uh, your license, please. I said, uh, I don't have a license on me because it's being renewed right now. True, it's a true story. Uh, he says, uh, is this your vehicle? No, no, it's not. <laughs> so I'm from, I'm from Vancouver. I'm here, he didn't ask me this, but I'm here to speak at a Christian minister's conference for God. <laughs> I don't know if he believed in God, but he didn't react. I was hoping that he would. Uh, and he asked, is this car insured? I, I'm, I, I think so. I, be, I believe so, officer. <laughs> and then he says, do you know that it's a $750 fine? to be driving with a phone in hand in the province of Manitoba. No, I did not know that. N now you know that if you're there, this is news you can use, okay? <laughs> Don't do that. He uh, slips away for what seems like ages. He comes back to the window and says, uh, this time I'm just gonna let you off with a warning. So uh, have a good night. Enjoy the rest of your stay in Manitoba. Whew. I'm just half, very happy, so happy that I need to tell my wife but believe it or not, I have the good sense to wait till I'm back in the hotel parking lot <laughs> to call her from my phone. Don't want to be pulled over again. Uh, when we experience something good, we want to share it. Stanley, you were at, we were at a wedding recently. You were one of the groomsmen. If I recall correctly, you won the suit that you were wearing, right? Is that true? Some social media contest, and you were eager to share that good news. When something good happens to us, we want to let people know. We graduated. We got a new job promotion. We want to let people know. And when... We really meet the living God. One of the signs that we've really met Christ is that we want to share that news with others. We might be a bit nervous because we don't know exactly how it's going to play, but we have that desire. And sometimes people who are new to faith have a very strong desire to share that. Maybe an over-desire, some might argue. When I was new to faith in high school, I remember walking home from football practice with some of my teammates and just thinking and praying, nervous, but hoping that there might be an opening to share my newfound faith with my teammates. I say over-desire because I am the second oldest of five kids in our family, and so the friends of my siblings would come over to our house in Surrey to, to, to hang out, and sometimes I would volunteer to drive their friends home. And years later, my brother told me that as you were driving my friends home and I was seated in our family van, I, 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 and I didn't know that he prayed or believed in God, he said, I would be praying. I'd be praying, God, don't let Ken start talking to my friends about Jesus. <laughs> don't let him, keep him silent about that, you know? So he was, he was nervous. Um, 
maybe I had an over-desire, if, that, if that's possible. But, and sometimes new followers of Jesus are very eager to share about their faith. And sometimes long-time followers of Jesus grow apathetic. There have been times when my desire to share has been high. Sometimes it's been lower, but it's always been there. Uh, not long ago, a long-time friend of mine asked me this question. Uh, she's not religious, but she said, could we get together to discuss the meaning of life? Something had happened in her life that reminded her of how frail life can be. And she said, I'd like to talk about existential matters. She had studied philosophy. So we got together for coffee. And partway through the conversation, she asked me about how God became so important to me. And I was able to share part of my own journey and story and coming to know Jesus and the difference he's made. And I felt a lot of joy. And she said, can we continue these conversations from time to time? You know, if you're new to faith or have been in a relationship with Jesus for a long time, but you haven't been sharing your faith, one way to practically begin is to simply name the fact. When the opportunity comes up that you believe in God or you follow Jesus or something along those lines, I was just at UBC and Santa Ono, the president, encouraged us to launch that site some years ago. And I remember him saying, I think from this stage, that when he was the vice chancellor of Emory University in Atlanta, he's now the president of UBC, um, that someone on the staff who was a Christian and well-meaning said, you should fly under the radar at this university insofar as being a Christian is concerned. It might be smoother for you. Sandra thought about that advice, prayed about it, and felt that it was the wrong advice, and he made a decision to say that he was a Christian whenever it was natural to, to share that. And he's been a, quote, public Christian, and I think that's the right call. And when that happens, when you do that, when I do that, um, there are opportunities that can come up to talk about the most important thing in the world, uh, the God who loves us and the God who can shape our lives. Something else I've done, um, and this is also something that I practice, both uh, not only as a pastor, but also before becoming a pastor, is to pray for people when they share some kind of need. Sometimes I just pray for them silently during the conversation. Sometimes I'll actually pray for them in the moment. So for example, uh, several months ago, I was in our neighborhood, just walking uh, through the, the neighborhood and uh, ran into one of our neighbors in front of her house. And I said, how are you doing? And she said, you know, I'm, I'm not sure whether I'll remain in this neighborhood. I'm thinking about selling our house. I'm not sure if it's the right time in the market and moving somewhere else, downsizing. And I said, how have you been during the pandemic? And she said, you know, it's been quite anxiety provoking for me. It's been hard. And, you know, she's not a church going person. So I felt a little bit nervous raising this, but I said, um, this may sound a little bit weird, but do you mind if I pray for you like right now? And she said, sure, sure. That would she was a little surprised, that would be fine. And so I, I didn't walk over to her and put my hand on, on her shoulder, <laughs> you know, to maintain some social distancing. Uh, but I, I prayed for her right there uh, as we stood on the sidewalk. I can't remember what I prayed for. But she sells her house, she moves to a different neighborhood, and then she texts me and says, Ken, thank you for that interaction and prayer that day when we connected. Um, there was something about that time that gave me clarity, and I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. And I've come to this new place. And sometimes when we 
invite God into a situation, it can change their actual physical destination. It might change the spiritual world they inhabit, and in some cases, might even change their eternal destination. Paul says, you want to be involved in a work that will last forever? Pray and make Christ known through who you are and through your words as you have opportunity. Brent Beasley is someone who's been part of this service. He's been a very faithful volunteer in presence. I was saying to... um, our staff this past week. Brent is around more than I am here, you know? And so a lot of you would know who he is. He attends the nine o'clock service, but you're regularly here at 11. And uh, Brent is, I need to get the right word here in terms of his professional um, role. He is a hair stylist, right? So hairstylist, my wife helped me with that description. Uh, I normally get my hair cut at a place called Magic Cuts. It's kind of a discount haircut place. But when my... uh, hair cutter, I'm not sure if that's the right word, hairdresser, uh, is on vacation or not well, I'll go to uh, Brent, who has a chair, I think that's the right word, uh, in the downtown area of Vancouver. I'm not doing a commercial for him right now, he hasn't asked me to plug him, Um, but as he's cut my hair, he's talked about his faith, and it's really vibrant, and he also has a heart to share God's love with others, so I've invited Brent to come and and to share. He's he's one of us, so uh, welcome him here. Yeah, Brent, Brent Beasley. You know, so, so Brent, you know, as I've mentioned, as I've talked to you, listened to you, it's really clear that, that God is important to you and, and that God has given you a great desire to share his love with others. So could you let us know about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, about eight years ago, I had a divine heart transformation. Um, God brought me out of a dark uh, self-destructive place and uh, brought me to my knees and uh, in his, into his presence. Um, I often explain it as, you know, he grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and took me out of the darkness and into the light. I mean, it wasn't that simple, but it really felt that way. Um, I was the last of three siblings uh, to receive the forgiveness of my sins from God and, and, and get, to, uh, get to know him and um, to find out my siblings have been praying for me for years, uh, persistent in prayers, and it took a long time, but I am the praise report, I'm um, happy to say. Um, and it's really given me a heart to, to share God's love with everyone, uh, my transformation and my continued journey. Um, uh, my friend Charlene years ago said to me that, uh, you know, Brand, if I could give you this sense of feeling that God has given me for one week, you've never given it back. Uh, you would never give it back, and that has very much been uh, my walk with Christ. Um, right after I was baptized, I um, was in a local coffee shop uh, in my neighborhood, and this lady walked in, and she uh, looked like she was making a beeline for me, and to find out she was actually sitting at the end of the line, but I felt it anyway, and uh, I could feel her distress, um, and and just simply asked her um, if she was okay, and she looked at me, and she said, I'm not, so she went and got her coffee, she came back, and uh, just shared with me what was going on in her life, and it was tragic, Uh, it was a lot of family issues, um, which you know really gave me the opportunity to share my own journey and um, you know the good news of the love of Christ and uh, through Him we can know God 
And after sharing that, she, she wept. She, she just cried. I gave her a hug and uh, to find out she did know the gospel or at one time. And I don't know if it was a seed I planted or not, but I just left that uh, coffee place, uh, just really lifted up and wanting to do more. Um, I just uh, love the opportunities God just continues to put me in to love on people and to share my journey. And I just... Uh, it's just been a real blessing, uh, this whole walk. So I just wanted to share that. Yeah. Thanks, Brent. Thank you very much. You can actually take that. Thank you very much. God grabbed you by the scruff of the neck, as you said, and you transformed into this butterfly, this new creation. And if you've done the same, like, like Brent Beasley, you're going to live forever. And I mean that literally in God's presence. And if you're joined to Christ, if you're a new creation and you embrace that identity, God will bring a work through you that will last forever. As you pray, as you live, as you share, God will bring a beautiful song through your life that will echo on into eternity. Let's pray together. If you'd like, you're welcome to simply pray these words. God, use me. God, use me. And if you don't have that desire, but want that desire, you could pray, God, pick me up as you did, Brent. Make me yours. Give me that joy, that peace. And you do that and you'll have that desire to do something that will last forever with God's help. And following that prayer, if you'd like, I invite you to pray this. God, use my prayers, my life, and my words to make Christ known. That expresses your heart. Pray it silently in your heart. God, use my prayers, my life, and my words to make the mystery of Christ known. And may that be so for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.